Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Seitz. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. One of the things that our society has lost, and specifically or especially the church has lost, is the idea of hospitality. It, it hasn't been that long ago, like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, where it would be considered normal if you came up to a stranger's house that he had an obligation to feed you, he had an obligation to to have you stay there overnight if you needed a place to stay overnight, that that hospitality was ingrained in our society. And I think, you know, some of these things change because of the nature of communication, right? Before, if you're going someplace and you don't have a telephone, you can't get up with that person. You just kind of have to show up. But now you can call ahead. And so, you know, some of it has changed because of technology. But I think we want to talk tonight and, and discuss but how should that reflect in the church? What should hospitality look like in a Christian community? Yeah, I think often you can think of uh, hospitable people as kind of like, you know, perhaps like a gifting, like, oh, yeah, that person, they're really hospitable or a preference. We, they like having people over. They, you know, enjoy that. That's just what they, what they like to do. But I think kind of an important thing to start out with is that it, when you look at the scripture, it's not an option. It's not a gifting. It's a commandment. It's a commandment for everyone. And, and that's pretty uh, pretty fundamental and something that our society has lost. And the church as well has, has lost. So you have this basic commandment to be hospitable uh, to, the, to those inside the church and those outside as well. All right, just to, to prove that point from Romans 12 after Paul in the first 11 chapters lays out the nature of God, he then turns around and says, what should the response be to that nature? And after listing other things, he said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. How many people in the modern church would put parallel being involved with prayer and doing hospitality? How many would put in parallel giving to the poor and doing hospitality? But, but Paul doesn't have any hesitation in putting those in the same list, that they're on the same, the same scope, the same level. And it's not a list that's just for the super-Christians. It's not just for the, the really holy people. This is just a general command for how the church is supposed to be. Everyday, run-of-the-mill Christians. Yeah, all those <laughs> ones. <laughs> the word that's used there for hospitality, it comes from two Greek words, which mean one is phileo or, or philo, means, which is I think it was probably even used earlier in the verse for brotherly love or the root, same root. It means brotherly love or just sometimes love. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a basic form of love. And the other one is the word for stranger or foreigner. I mean, so it literally means to love strangers or foreigners, those who are outside. I mean, is, you know, I mean, it would be the idea of it, and there are really specific applications of it as well. I mean, and it's, it's one of those things where it's, when you look at our culture, you talk about it being baked into culture, the love of foreigners is something that, that's become a political issue. You know, I mean, it's, it's how you think about it. I mean, and there's two sides to that, right, is what does it mean to love someone what does it actually mean to love a stranger? What does it mean to love a foreigner? And I think there's a lot of times where we've forgotten what, it, it's insulting. You can tell people you don't know what it means to love, but I think there's a part of it where we've, the, because the church has really failed to teach these things, we've forgotten and we don't understand what love 
really means. I mean, I think as we're, as we're talking about hospitality, there's this part of it where that's what's going to get expounded is how do you love those who are outside of your, whether it's outside of your immediate family, whether it's outside of your church, whether, I mean, those who, whether it's outside of your country, I mean, there are, there are different levels of foreigner and that's kind of what gets unpacked when you talk about it and how that impacts culture and how that impacts the church. And And when you think of, you know, Philo, it's not like agape, which is kind of a sacrificial love. I mean, Philo right. is more just like a, a care for one another where there's where there's even reciprocal. I mean, it's not right. just all just sacrifice. It's 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 a love a love that's less, you know, outgoing, less aggressive in a sense. Right. And this it's is not just, one, purely one-sided, right? Right, it's not purely one-sided. You know, hospitality, even as you show hospitality to something, there's real blessings to you where, you know, that's not necessarily true with agape love. Yeah, I mean, this would have been the word that would be closest to friendship. Right. And the other thing about the, the idea of strangers is, you know, there is, like— spheres of hospitality almost right Right. it's not hospitality if you are having dinner with your family your immediate family but if you invite family that's in a different household in even though they're family it's still hospitality because they're strange to that household even though they're not and then you go to the point where christ is going and he's saying you know even the poor the lame those who are far off from you the strangers the foreigner those who can't possibly repay you those you're supposed to show hospitality to. So when we think about hospitality, we should be thinking about it in those different levels of, of strangeness or those different levels of separation between you and the people that you're being hospitable to. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to prove the point, First Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So that's in the, in, in the context of the church, you're supposed to be hospitable to other people in the church. And then there's other verses I think we're going to, reference a bit later on that are more about to the to the stranger and to people outside and you know both those are necessary and they have slightly different purposes um in some in some ways i think when you were giving your introduction you mentioned that it's something that it was baked into our culture at one point we've talked about how it's, it's kind of waned in popularity but you can go back to this there's a quote from john calvin which is somewhere between what 450 years ago maybe is that you know about yeah. where, where he said this Hospitality has nearly ceased to be properly observed among men, for the ancient hospitality celebrated in histories is unknown to us, and inns now supply the place of accommodation for strangers. So, I mean, it's it's not something that, and I'm not saying there have been ebbs and flows, I mean, because I think you can go back and look. There were cultural times where this was much more the norm in American culture, but it's not like our culture has been the only one that's forgotten it. It, it can be the life cycle even of a civilization that as time goes on, they, they stop being the type of people who, who do these things and think these things should be, you know, should be offered to any man that comes by. And, and I think it's important to recognize, you know, the, the follow-on to that is the reason that was, was inherent in the American culture was because of the reading of Scripture. And there's so many commandments about hospitality because you go back 200 years ago in other cultures and it wasn't true. So it's not that it was, it was here and then it changed because of technology. Even though there are some changes because of technology, right. the fundamental change is the view of Christians towards hospitality, not the technology. The technology just made it easier to allow it to change. But it doesn't change 
as Joshua said, it's a commandment. That doesn't change our responsibility. The fact, the fact that now we can call ahead, the fact we can arrange stuff, we, can, we don't have to rely on just going up to somebody's house doesn't mean that, that hospitality has to take a hit because it's a Christian behavior. And that, and that technology can even help as much as it can hurt. I mean, maybe in this culture, I don't want to just walk up to a random person's house and ask to stay at their house. Um, but also, I can, if I'm going to an area, I have the resources to the technology to look up a church, to contact them, to say, can I stay with you? So, you know, it, it, it could help, but it also has hurt. But when we, you know, going back to the idea of it being commandments, I mean, God commands you to be hospitable. I mean, you could, you could hear that and you could read it in such a way that it's, it's a very heavy sort of thing. Oh, man, I'm commanded to be. But it's just like any commandment in Scripture, that when you do what God says, when you live the kind of life that God says you're supposed to live, you should expect that there's blessings involved in that. There's always blessings involved in obedience. So it's good to start talking about hospitality as a sort of thing. We're supposed to be obeying. It's good to say, hey, American church, you could be better at this. When the Bible says given to hospitality, do we really think that we're as given to hospitality as we could be or should be? And if there's ways to improve, then more obedience means opportunities for more blessing. It's blessing for yourself. It's blessing for your family. It's blessing for the people that you're hospitable towards. You know, and this is just you obeying it. We're not, we're not saying you should obey in order to get somebody else to invite you back. It's just, you know, but, but then there's blessings for the church. There's blessings for the culture, generally speaking. And if, all of, if, if you just start obeying God, the world's going to be a better place. And that's, that's why we're having a podcast about this tonight, and that's why we're saying, hey, this is a command. I would even, you know, I would even argue that one of the things that when the church loses hospitality is it loses one of the sources of joy in the gospel because— the hospitality is supposed to be a joyful thing. It is supposed to be a pleasant thing. You know, it's it's you know, it's a beautiful thing when the brethren draw together in unity. If you're all separate in your houses, you come to church and then you immediately leave and there's no connection between the people, the church is losing a real source of joy that should be in the church. Or I would argue in general in America has lost what should be a real source of joy in the church. But everybody knows in almost every culture that a way that you really connect with somebody is to have a meal with them. And whether it's two families getting together or whether it's two groups of executives getting together to seal a business deal, you know, you might go on a business trip and spend a lot of time at a particular client's uh, facility offices, or yeah. offices, but but then, you know, you always end up going out to have Well, you a meal try to. Them. If you're the right. salesman, you try to. <laughs> right. But But, you know, I mean, this is... And, and this is just basic to human experience all across the world at any kind of level of, of cultural society, whether you're talking Christians, non-Christians, a way that you connect with people is you eat with them. And that's something that's also confirmed very much in Scripture. You know, you, you look at how Scripture treats having a meal with people, and it's treating it in this important way. You know, if someone's been excommun- excommunicated, you're not allowed to eat with them. You have uh, the Lord's Supper, which is kind of the, the pinnacle of fellowship uh, being, being a meal. And, uh, and it's definitely something that's not just uh, a cultural thing, but something that, like you were saying, is part of all human experience and confirmed in, in the scriptures. 
It's like, I mean, one of the great things about the Gospels is each of the Gospels is written with a different flavor, and, and you get to the book of Luke in particular, and pretty much every other chapter in the book of Luke is happening with Jesus at a meal with somebody. And there's significant conversations there and significant debates and significant ministry that is, ha- but they're always centered around Jesus was always eating with people. He was always at meals with people. To the point that he got, that was one of the accusations against him, is he comes, he's all eating and drinking. You know, I mean, that was, you know, John the Baptist, John the Baptist didn't eat and drink, but you just constantly, I mean, but that you, you really have to think about that. I mean, it was so frequent that they felt like they could call him out on it. That was the life of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, you know, I mean, this is, it, you know, it should really be pointed at. And I think one thing I would just, I want to just go back to is earlier you kind of mentioned that you're not being hospitable when you eat with your family. And when we were talking about how that we've actually lost, we've actually lost this. And so one of the things is, is potentially as part of repenting of this is you may, the first step of exercising this may be you may have strangers in your household because you've abandoned eating with your family. And, and, and so, I mean, and so I'm not disagreeing with you at all, no, no, but no, that's no, how bad in, it's gotten. And, and one of the things is, is that would make people very uncomfortable to have other people. And if they never sit down and eat with their family, how can they, I mean, right. it would just be so weird. I mean, obviously people do it at restaurants, but a lot of times other, everybody just grabs food when they want food as opposed to actually sitting down at the table. And so then all of a sudden you're going to invite other people to sit at the table when you never do it. It, I mean, it's going to be if, very hard to transition. If you have children in your house, your children are just going to look at that as rank hypocrisy. You know, correct things in your own house first, right, and then invite people into your own house. I mean, one thing to to recognize too is, in the end, you know, hospitality is the gospel, because Jesus Christ came to invite us into His house. I've gone to prepare a place for you. I mean, he comes and he brings us into his house. So when we think about it, you can't separate the gospel from hospitality because that's what Christ did. He took strangers and he he brought us into his house. And he literally, not just temporarily, but permanently brought us into his house. So one thing as we think about hospitality, we should remember it is the gospel. It is what Christ did. Right. And it's the gospel. I mean, that's the back end. It's the gospel in the front end, too. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what we're talking about with hospitality is really dwelling with one another. And Jesus saw fit to come and do that for us, and we had no reason. No, There's no reason that God should have done that for us. And we can sin both ways, right? Because when Christ did it, he all those times that he's eating together, he also says, I don't have a place to lay my head. He's usually receiving hospitality rather than giving hospitality. He's eating at Zacchaeus's house and, I mean, Martha and Mary's house. I mean, in all those cases, he's at somebody else's house. And so we should recognize that part of hospitality is not just to have people into your house, but actually go to other people's house. Right. I mean, that's one thing that's... uh you know, rather interesting that Jesus never practiced hospitality in his own house that we know of because, you know, he, the son of the man, has nowhere to lay his head. So, I mean, he fed thousands, but not in his house because he didn't have one. But he's going somewhere to prepare right, a place right. for you. <laughs> right. So, you he, know, in the end, he is hospitable. <laughs> it's going to be the best ever. That's. So, and it, you know. So as we think of that as the picture of the gospel, I mean, I think one of the 
the ways that the church has really lost the idea of hospitality is because, I mean, it's a requirement for an elder, and yet it's it's been rejected, right? It says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. And again, in the list of things, hospitality is right up there with being able to, to actually teach and to preach. It's not like right. there's this side thing because we very much as a, a pastor, as an elder, you're very much teaching not just, you know, by taking the word and expounding the word, but you're teaching by how you behave in your life. And hospitality is a core behavior in the Christian life. And think about how weird this is. And like, imagine your, your local seminary, and I'm sure they have classes on teaching, on doctrine. Is there ever a class that they have on hospitality? Here's how you you are all aspiring pastors. Here's how to be hospitable. Now, I mean, I think that would be weird because hospitality isn't something that you teach in a classroom. I think they used to have it a hundred years ago in, in seminary. So maybe, but they were usually for the wives of the pastors. But not the pastors but themselves. even you know hosp- how you learn to be hospitable is actually being hospitable and partaking of other people's hospitality towards you and and just living with the body of Christ. It's not something I think that you would pick up from a seminary. But we're at the point where we think that a seminary training in doctrine, in homiletics, in Greek, in various different preaching techniques, we think that that's adequate for equipping a man to be a pastor. And the Bible says, hey, have you thought about this? How's the man do when he has strangers in his house? Do they even have a requirement for people who want to be pastors to be hospitable while they're there? I mean, yeah, at least you know, just at least show a you know, show a note from people that you had them over. Show some, you know what I mean? Do they even have that as a requirement? Because they should. But the seminary is creating different criteria. Oh, away from you know, for I'm not advocating for seminary. Right? No, no, no. I understand. <laughs> but what I'm saying though is because they've replaced it and said that the degree is what matters rather than the behavior from like 1 Timothy 3, from Titus 1. God has given us criteria, and we're saying being able to teach, that's the criteria. All the rest of it, forget. Or all the rest of it should be minor because we're not – I mean, I – I know that there are some professors that I'm aware of that are very hospitable to their students, but a lot of them aren't hospitable to their students at all. Even in seminary, they have no contact with them or very little contact with them, and yet they're teaching them to be pastors, but yet they aren't pastoral. It's This may be a little bit of an aside, but just today the news broke that Harvard University elected their first ever atheist chaplain, and he was elected unanimously by the various chaplains at Harvard University. And it, I mean, Harvard University was founded by Puritans. It was founded by the good guys. Who, and the idea was, we want to make sure that we have educated preachers. And now it's so, I, so you know, this is not really about the decadence of culture in that look how far Harvard's fallen, but it's more like when you, you read the stories about why this guy was elected, he was elected because he's hospitable because he would have people at his house in order to talk about the meaning of life from a humanistic perspective. And he was willing to invest in people's lives. And that's why Harvard has this guy who hates God. It's because 
he, in some twisted and backdoor way, is practicing Christian principles. And I know somebody that took a class at a Southern Baptist seminary on pastoral, you know, pastoral care or something, and one of the things that they had in that class was you should live at least a half an hour away from your congregation so nobody can drop in on you, that it's too hard for them to. So that way they'll schedule it, and you can't just have people unexpectedly come by. So you have Harvard University that's apostatized for 240 years or something. <laughs> you know, it was a long time ago that they became apostate and became Unitarian. And you compare that to what are considered to be the quote-unquote conservative seminaries, and the conservative seminaries, the, the atheists at Harvard's doing better than the conservative seminaries. And we wonder why the church doesn't have the impact that it should have on the culture. People or are, on each other. People are lonely. I mean, we live in a society of lonely people, and they are hungry for connections. They're hungry just to be able to to meet other people, to talk about serious things with them, and and they don't know how. And, and we've got awkward ways of trying to facilitate that, and your social media is not doing it, and it's never going to do it, and it's never going to replace what God said is the way you build a culture. What you're saying is reflected exactly in the church where you have these mega churches where people show up on Sunday, they don't know anybody, they leave right after the service, and they have no connection. There's no community uh, with other with other believers. And, you know, I think some of this, you know, has with the, a lot more churches now have small groups and this type of thing that is a bit better. But, you know, if you're not, if you've lost hospitality, if your church service is just come in, come out, then, then you're missing a huge part of the plan for, for Christian life. And you're going to end up with a lot of lonely people in your church. And I think even the small groups, that's one of the core parts of the small groups usually is that they meet in somebody's house. They almost never meet in the church building. They meet in somebody's house so that somebody is forced to do hospitality. And they may not have a meal together, but they usually have cookies or something. So, I mean, it's it's this way that the church, and I don't think the churches are being deliberate or scriptural about it in a lot of cases of saying, well, the scripture says be hospitable, and yet we're not being hospitable, so let's do this to do hospitality. But it's interesting that so many of the small groups, they end up incorporating an aspect of hospitality, which is what, in a lot of ways, gives the small group strength. It's not their you know, the great wisdom they have, because a lot of times, you know, it's people that don't know that much teaching each other, but at least they're making connections together. At least they're actually having conversations. They're getting to know one another. They can hold people accountable. All these things that aren't related being, to being apt to teach, all of a sudden you get those advantages in a small group, but we shouldn't have to create something outside of Scripture in order to do something scriptural. We should just obey. And, and all these commands are, are connected. So, you know, how are you going to be? How are you going to rebuke people for sin if you don't know what their sins are? Because you never talk to them because they sit on the other side of the church and you never see them. So I mean, you know, if if churches are saying, "Oh, we need small groups because we're seeing lacking in these areas," well, they end up kind of coming around to the hospitality thing too, even if they didn't recognize it because they are all. It's a it's a it's a uh, it's a system that all that all works together. There's a part of it where you look in scripture and God says. I'm building you up as a house. You're made of light. You know, you're made of living stones, and you're being fitted together. You know, you're being constructed. And there's this, there's this part of it where we're, you know, when you when you do that, what happens is is you knock the edges off of each other. And I mean, we're we're what a year and a half into this coronavirus 
thing where, you know, people haven't been able to go into work and people haven't been able to go to church and they haven't been able to see each other. And there's this part of it where you can see it at work. You can see it where people haven't, because they haven't been able to be together. <laughs> they're not at our work. Because we, we did it for a whole week and a half. Come well, on, yeah, Charles. Yeah, yeah, we get to see each other all the time. Um, it's like living in a fairy tale. Um, <laughs> you can see it at, at places where you have these big corporations where because people haven't been able to work together, they become more themselves. They become more what they are without without how concerned for what other people are. And and there's this part of it where, I mean, you can you can see that being harmful for people. And when you think about being there, there's this trade-off between tolerance and and judgment. There's this part of it where, you know, like you're talking about like like seeing sin in other people's lives. Sometimes if you don't spend any time around other people, what you become is completely intolerant of anything that's not like you. And that's dangerous. And you can be around other people so much that you just say, well, I can't judge it. I can't confront anybody over anything because they're my friends. And so there's there's a danger within, you know, over-association that you take it too far and you don't allow truth to rule as well. But we've gone much more in the other direction. We've become very intolerant. Like you were talking about communities. There are communities where everybody thinks the same way. There are communities dedicated towards thinking entirely in this one way. And they don't, they don't even have place, a place in their head for someone who's different than that. They've never even sat down and really had a real conversation with someone who's actually in this different way from them. And so you can see how these things play out. I mean, we were kind of this goes back into line with how hospitality propagates culture. But even if it doesn't propagate culture, at a minimum, it makes a space for someone else to exist that you can say, I can think about that person in a way that's real. I can actually just even conceive of them and understand who they are. And and that gets lost. And just because people aren't, you know, getting together over simple things like meals, you know, people talk over the last, you know, year and a half about just how everybody has gotten even deeper into their own camps without any connection to each other and how in the world did the response to COVID become political and well, it's because of this, because there is no connection. There's none of the basic human connection. So it's really easy to ignore everybody else's opinion and go find somebody that agrees with you, which just digs you deeper into that that pocket, that, that separation from everybody else, that silo. And it's not – for a year and a half, we've been told that basic physical proximity to other human beings is bad. It might kill you. It might kill them. And, and we're getting this message over and over and over, and we're being told to isolate. We're being told isolation is good, isolation is better. It's the only way you're gonna survive. And, and you've gotta say, this is changing your thinking. This is, this is affecting what you think about other people. This is affecting your perception of other people. And you've gotta admit, that's seeping down into your soul. And you're going to have to fight it because the Bible does not say that that's a good thing that isolation from people is good. And if you want to do real spiritual warfare, if you really want to do something, say, hey, how can I build the kingdom with whatever resources God's given me? Go do some hospitality. And because the the church is going to have a lot of, they're going to have a lot of disaster relief when COVID's over. And when, when this whole thing blows through and we finally figure out, okay, we don't have to be worried about being sick anymore. What are we going to do with the wreckage that's been left behind of a whole bunch of lonely people 
who were already lonely before COVID now being locked away for a year and a half and working remotely and not going out to eat and not going out to whatever community they had, Christian or otherwise. The church has an opportunity to go in and and pick up some rubble. And I don't think that, I mean, you said once it... Once it goes away, I'm having trouble believing that it's going to go away in the sense that they still want to stir up problems. So who knows when it's going to stop? So because of that, I wouldn't wait until it stops. I mean, there's people that are being destroyed right now. I even look at my own parents, right? I mean, my father's 93 and my mother's 90. And so they were, you know, locked down by themselves for a year and a half where they had no contact with anybody else except for the cleaning lady. I mean, this was very damaging, and phone calls aren't the same. I mean, I still talk to them, but it's not the same. I mean, it it was incredibly hard on the elderly, what we decided was good and just and right. I mean, if they actually thought about it and said, well, there's a, what, 3% chance that you'll die, or you can be shut down for a year and a half, how many people would say, I want to have no connection with anybody for a year and a half to have a 3% higher chance of living. Most people would accept the risk, but but we're not thinking that way, and we also don't value the connection properly in the first place so that we can't say, wait a second, there's a real trade-off here. All we go is preserve life instead of saying connection, community really matters. I mean, when you're talking about kind of this uh – this emptiness that's that's in society when we've lost these things you know one thing that comes to mind is like when you have a baby like normally someone the doctor or the midwife or whoever will ask you like you know do you have a support network to take care of the baby well you know a lot of people the answer is well kind of not really um but the reality is that the church should be that for people you should have the connection with people uh through through the church through people you know there um, I hope, you know, I personally have family nearby, but I hope that everyone in our church would say, yes, we have a strong support network with the people we know in the church. Right. And even one of the most basic ways that most churches has maintained hospitality is not inviting people into their own house. But what's what's still typical in churches is if somebody has a baby, people bring food over to them and they have some kind of you know meal train or whatever you want to call it, but they, they provide meals so that there is that support network and that's kind of one of the last remnants of hospitality that typically I've still seen in churches. Babies in churches. Generals. Yeah. At least for and Baptists especially babies. in the Southeast yeah. United States, we're, we're still pretty good at that. Yeah. I mean, as we've been talking about some of this, some of it, it's easy to forget how serious it is. Because God, I mean, like in First John three seventeen, it says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother needs and shut up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you're not willing to show hospitality to somebody in need, John's saying you're not saved. And, I mean, these things, we need to stop sugarcoating these things. I mean, that's what John says. (laughs) The love of God doesn't abide in you if you see somebody in need and you don't do anything about it. Or when we think about in Matthew 25, when Jesus Christ returns and he says, I'm going to divide the sheep and the goat. The goats, right? It says in Matthew 25, 34, and 35, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. 
that's all aspects of hospitality because we've been kind of talking about hospitality as meals, but hospitality is greater than meals. Hospitality right. is letting strangers stay in your right. house. And, you know, we talk about, you know, and it's very easy to talk about meals, but when Jesus Christ is saying there, he's saying, what, you wouldn't let somebody stay in your house? Right. Then you're a goat. And I think we look at these things and, you know, when Jesus Christ is saying, this is a this is a, one of the most basic tests to find out if you're saved or not, is if you won't invite somebody into your house, you should wonder because the goats don't and the sheep do. Right. I mean, you, you were kind of mentioning before how there's these different – the different kind of rings of who you're hospitable to you know make sure you're eating with your own family make sure you're eating with other people in the church and you expand that out you know we have a, a requirement to be hospitable to people you know virtually everyone in the society around us not not all at once or for every person <laughs> but every you know be willing and actively pursuing doing this with with all different kinds of people around us um, and it's something that, you know, you can be very comfortable with doing hospitality to your friends at church, but then it's a whole different thing sometimes to do it to people you meet on the street, people you, your neighbors that you never talk to. I mean, it's, it, it can be more uncomfortable and less out of the comfort zone, but there are also specific instructions that we need to be doing these things. And I mean, and it's a, a great way to reach out to people. And, you know, even Jesus Christ, when he's talking about this, he's saying, you know, what you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. And he's basically saying that that stranger who comes and says, I need a place to stay, you put him out. You might be putting Christ out. And if you put Christ out, you're going to hell unless you repent. I mean, Christ isn't messing around. And we tend to take these things way too lightly compared to what Christ does. But you look at this and you say that person who's in need that you shut up your heart to them and you won't help them, you won't feed them, you won't bring them in your house, you won't give them a place to stay. You know, you could be, Christ could be saying, this is what you're doing to me. And it's really important for us to recognize how much this is part of, just as I was saying before, that, that hospitality, as you said, is the, a picture of the back end of the gospel, right? Is that, that the, the, in the fullness of time, Christ is going to take us all into his house. But, you know, we're supposed to be showing that now. And when we show that now, it opens up a huge door for evangelism. It opens up a huge door to have a conversation with people. You know, in the last... 150 years since Finney, we've had this view that the way you evangelize is you stand in front of a large group of people and you preach the gospel to them and then they're saved. It's not historical evangelism. Historical evangelism is you say, come over to dinner and you talk to them. And then they understand the gospel and they see the gospel and they see it working out. And it's real evangelism that's more likely to produce real Christians rather than to get somebody to raise their hand and pray a prayer. And there's a part of it where when you have someone into your home, and I mean, and you should not be thinking, I'm going to have people in my home so they can see what a Christian home looks like. That's not, but there is this part of it where that is, there is a reality of that. I mean, you, you don't know what parts of your home look different to other people. You don't know. But guaranteed, there are thi- if you're a Christian, there are things about your home that are different. And 
and so and this isn't you know there are the people who make you know say preach the gospel use words when necessary no no i'm you know this i am not saying that i want to be really clear but there is this part of it where coupled with your words your life is a frame for those things and it is a very powerful frame for those things and you just you can't even express what it can mean to someone else. I've had people, you know, things I did not think would matter to someone else. You know, I don't even think about not having a TV in the living room. You know what I mean? I mean, you know what I mean? I don't even, I don't even, doesn't even cross my mind. But other people notice that right away. They walk into your living room and they go, what are you doing here? <laughs> Point of hospitality is not putting on a show. Right. You're, you are not supposed to do a performance. This isn't what, this isn't your grandparents' dinner party. This is, you know, now, yeah, you want to, when you're being hospitable, you are really trying to bless the people that come into your house. And if blessing them means that, hey, we're going to clean house beforehand, we're going to try and put together a really nice meal, we might put a tablecloth on, and we might tell the kids not to pick their noses at the table, you know. There, you can tell them that other There <laughs> is a sense in you which you are trying to put a best foot forward, but you're not trying to put a fake foot forward. Right. You're not trying to pretend like you're something that you aren't. Right. You are saying, this is our home. This is where we live. We're going to give you the best of what we have when you come here. You've got to be intentional about it. And, and the way you be intentional is say, I know where we are. I know what we have to offer. I know about these people, this person, whomever it is that we're bringing into our house. I have some idea of what I think that they need, and I'm going to take the resources I've got and the needs that, that they have, and I'm going to do the best I can to meet those needs. Right. And it's going to be different if you've got somebody who is a family from church. It's going to be different if it's your pastor. By the way, invite your pastors over if you haven't. And one of the most basic goals that should be to get to know the person better. Sure. Because in, in those conversations, I mean, you know, you were talking about exhorting to love and good works by singing a hymn or reading scripture together. Really, most of, in my experience, most of the exhortation to love and good works, it comes when you have people from the church, and I'm not talking about when you have unbelievers in. Right. But when you have people from the church, and most of the exhortation for love and good works is more you find out about people, and in the conversation you go, you do that? I'm not, really, you think that's okay to do? Or those kind of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I do have those conversations, and other people that may not. Like, that sounds like a question. Dan Horn sort of. No, just Sometimes it's the opposite. It's like, wow, you do that? I should really probably start doing that. And I so find that it to is, be really common. It is like reciprocal, and it's 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 the two like you were talking about before the living right. stones that are that are rubbing against one another. And that's how you see where you're falling short. That's how you can help the other person see where they're falling short. And part of hospitality is when you have a big group there, even on a Sunday morning where it's one family that maybe you're sitting across from or Sunday afternoon that you're sitting across from at the meal, the conversation's still different than it is if you have them over for dinner and they stay for a couple hours afterwards. Yep. It's a lot different because you can have deeper conversations. You can understand more. And most of what we do is not – in a lot of ways, not that deliberate. It's mostly just asking questions and trying to to talk to them about right. what their life is like and where they are and what their, you know, what challenges they have, so that we can try to exhort them to love and good works and and receive that exhortation as well. And I think an important part of this to go back to something that John was mentioning a minute ago is that uh, th since this is a commandment to the whole church to do this to one another, it's not 
be hospitable to people who have a similar number of children as you that are a similar age or that don't have children when you don't have children. So it's it's supposed to be the whole church doing this to one another. So that might that might mean, you know, that sometimes, you know, if you're a couple and don't have kids, that you have a family with kids over and those kids might not have the greatest time of their life. You know, I've been the child at someone's <laughs> house that, you know, that didn't have the greatest time of their life. But, you know, that's part of that's part of being in the community. It was just people. a month ago that you <laughs> <laughs> And when you go back to the beginning of the church. Right. I mean, this is really one of the ways that the church, before it even starts to evangelize outside, this is the way that the church actually strengthens itself. Because you see from Acts 2, 44 through 47, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions in good and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. But the focus of it really is hospitality when the church started. It's being together. It's having those conversations. It's breaking bread together. It's, it's you know, eating food together. It's all these things that are, that are strengthening the church. And I think that there's so much weakness in the church today because we aren't a body were separate people that joined together for a service, and then we split up right away. And like Joshua was talking about earlier, small groups deals with that somewhat, but even that has only a certain level of depth to it versus, you know, having a one-hour small group meeting is a lot different, again, than having somebody over for dinner. Right. Oh, you think about all of the commands in Scripture that there are about 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 teaching groups to certain groups of people and i have things in mind like iron sharpening iron this is how men act with one another or or older women are supposed to teach the younger women to encourage them and and you think well, okay how is our church going to do that and if your response is well let's make a program you're going about it the long way you're taking the hard road as opposed to saying well what if we were in each other's houses often <laughs> I mean, right. what if we spent a lot of time together with one another? These would be the sort of things that just happen. If the older women were going over to dinner at the younger women's houses and vice versa, you would have opportunities for those kinds of things to work themselves out. You would have opportunities for this discipleship to happen organically without your church having to set up yet another program to satisfy those kinds of needs. And especially the you know, older women teaching younger women, because that's really mentoring younger women. It's not like didactic. It's not like sitting up in front of a classroom and saying these are the things that you should know. It's, it's having those relationships that you can say to somebody, you know, is that really a good idea? Is that really going to help your marriage to do that? And those come from having the personal interactions and not the corporate interactions. And like you said, when you said it, lunch at church, you know, you have the meal at church that's very different from being in the home. I mean, there's something, you know, like you said, different people are in different places, and we have people over who have a bunch of kids like we do. We talk shop about kids. You know what I mean? I mean, that's pretty common as you start, you know, 
you have kids that are in this age group and they're starting to move into this age group. And what are the challenges you're starting to deal with? Maybe their kids are a little younger and they're starting to think about what thing, you know, you've faced down some things that they haven't faced down yet or vice versa. You know, I mean, you're in a different stage of life. Their parents are a little bit older and their parents are coming to live with them. And you start to think, my parents might come to live with me in a few years. Or my, yeah, I mean, there's all these things, like you said, they're very organic but that is how you think through things. And those are the types of convert. I mean, I, I mean, all of those are conversations I've had. Someone's mentioned that you go over someone and you see that they're, they're doing something with their children and you're like, huh, that's a really good thing to do with your kids. And you start talking about it and they explain what they're doing. And you, and sometimes they didn't think about something that immediately comes to, I mean, it's amazing how useful those conversations can be. It's amazing how after having 10 kids, there are things that you haven't thought of and that somebody there are things that you thought of 10 eight kids ago that you forgot you thought of and somebody else mentioned that you go why didn't i ever do that i mean i had that happen just the other you know i mean it's it's really really big things that can be incredibly meaningful to you and i mean it's it's we forget how how nearsighted we all are because we see ourselves and we see our lives and we see how we do things. And when you do hospitality, all of a sudden you see how somebody else does something near to you and you start to go, maybe I haven't been seeing this right. And right, and, and you right. get that interaction and you can help them too, right? I mean, child misbehaves, children misbehave, and you have to deal with it. And you can see how different people deal with it and what works. And their children are different. There's different ways that things get dealt with. They're different at church than they are at home. Right. And so all of a sudden, it doesn't look... I mean, you've told me the story before of someone, of a pastor's wife that you know that she would cry and say, oh, I, I don't... You know, why do we have all these problems and nobody else in church does? Well, when you have hospitality, you realize everybody has problems. Right. Another thing that hospitality is supposed to do is it's supposed to actually care for those who are suffering. And you were talking about, you know, helping those that are, I mean, looking at the person and saying, how can we help them? We're supposed to, the church is supposed to be deliberately doing this to reach out to the people in the world. There's a lot of people that are suffering right now. A lot of people that have been cut off from everybody else. And the church is the one that, you know, and I'm not (laughs) saying different than what you said before, except even now, you can invite people into your home. You can take somebody who is is cut off and has no relationship, and the church is supposed to be coming and helping those people. That's what the church is always supposed to be do- doing. I mean, that's that's hospitals. Hospitals come from hospitality. It was from the Crusades where they were setting up places to be hospitable to the soldiers coming back. And I'm not saying that you know we're supposed to do that same thing or that they were doing it all right, but... There were real things there that they were saying, here's a group of people in need, and hospitality is the way to deal with that. When you talk about hospitals, they were a place where you could go and be hurting and you could get the help that you needed. And with the church, there's a broader sense of hurting that can be dealt with. There's a, a broader scope. It's, it's not grievous bodily harm, but people can still be suffering in real ways where they look fine. You ask them how they're doing and they will say, I'm doing fine and they're still hurting and they need a place where they can be and like when you talk about it's not just a meal that they need sometimes sometimes it's a place to live where those wounds can be healed over a period of time sometimes it's just a place for a period of time where they can build a relationship with someone where those wounds can heal over a period of time right I mean I've had in my household 
people that lived there for nine years, almost 10 years. And they were hurting, and I knew when they came in exactly the scope of, or not the scope of it, but the area of the hurt and knew what the problem was. And then there's other people that have lived in my house that, that I had no idea how damaged they were when they moved in. And I had other people that I knew were incredibly damaged when they moved in, and they had no desire to be healed. But that doesn't mean that in all those cases, we're not supposed to be willing to, you know, <laughs> I needed a place to live, and you took me in. And that's what it says in Matthew 25. And this is how part of how the church is actually supposed to be changing the world, is taking those who are suffering. And again, we live in an incredibly rich society. So the people who are suffering frequently aren't suffering because of lack of food, right? The government will be happy to give them food. They'll give them housing. They'll give them all kinds of stuff. But people are suffering because they don't have any purpose in life. They're suffering because they have no idea that you can have peace. They're suffering because, I mean, all kinds of spiritual suffering that's going on out there. And part of it is because the church isn't saying, we're supposed to take these people in and help them in some cases help them to be saved in other cases help them because they are saved but they still don't understand what the christian life is like who hasn't been hurt by the idolatry of the world right you know what I mean? and i think when you're thinking about suffering it's so easy to think about oh they had like mental problems or you know what i mean you know what i mean like it's, in some it's, cases <laughs> but you know what i mean it's, it's so easy to think of i mean the person who believes that they have to pursue the wealth of the world, they've been hurt by the idolatry of the world. And you know what I mean? And there's mm-hmm. and that's true. You could you could just start listing thing after thing after thing. And those are all suffering that the church can deal with. Yeah, I mean kinda what you're mentioning here is expanding hospitality beyond just the the having someone over for dinner to having people stay with you perhaps for a very long time. <laughs> but in America, we have kind of the idea of the classic nuclear family, mother, father, two kids. And there's good things about that, and there's also bad things about that that is in some ways more unique to America than certain other places where you don't have family members moving in, where you don't, uh, you know, you go way back in American history when you have higher death rate, you ha- you'd, you'd take in your relatives, children of your, you know, your nieces or nephews, even further away people, your neighbors, people who didn't have a place to live, you take them into your house. Even, uh, you know, e- yeah, even strangers, you know, if they're working for you or if they're um, just someone who needs a place to stay, they would end up joining your family and becoming part of your family. And that's part of hospitality as well, part that is uh, quite unusual today. And there's scripture verses that talk about this, talking about how God puts the solitary in families where uh, the the ideal in scripture isn't that people who you know don't have who aren't living with their parents are living on their own that's not that's not the ideal that scripture puts forward you go all the way back like all the way back to the garden and you you see if you will I want to say the first negative in scripture um, where God's creating the world and he creates the sun and the moon and stars, and that's good. And he creates the plants, and that's good. And he divides the land from the water, and that's good. And all these things are good. And then he creates man, and then you get the first negative. It is not good for man to be alone all the way back. And yet we've we've got a culture that has built a lot of its structure around 
it's okay for a man to be alone. It's okay for a woman to be alone. And and from from the way God made us, n- no. And and this was not even in a sinful world. This was perfect. And God says, nope, not that. And so so now I mean it's just this, you know. If you're looking for how to do hospitality, if you're saying, I don't know who needs help, I don't know who I can help, I don't know who has needs, any single person, whether they're a college kid, whether they're a middle career professional, whether they're somebody older, any single person, try and reach out to them because you have something they don't. You have community that you can offer. If they're in the church, then they are a brother and sister in Christ. And if they're a brother and sister in Christ who doesn't have a natural family around, then the church has to fill that gap. And the reality is it's also going to be easier. You know, they they probably don't have as much on their schedule. They're not going to be, you know, a five-year-old who's ripping your house up. You know, it's going to be easier. It's they a good way less. to get into it. Yeah. If things go well tomorrow night, we'll have over two, two young men who are, you know, neither one are married or have children. And my kids love when people like that come over. Kids are great icebreakers. Kids are a really good way to deal with those things. I mean, like I said, they come over and they sort of they, they play with my kids and my kids play with them. And then we just sort of talk and a conversation happens. And it's a very enjoyable time. And there's no... Yeah, we kind of talked about this before where, you know, inviting different kinds of people into your home. But it really is the picture of the body where there's a hand and a foot and an eye and an ear. And and you know mouth different parts of the body and if all you do is invite the other people you never the hand never understands how it needs the foot unless it has some interaction with the foot and you know in the church where you're just all breaking off even into small you know college and career you know the the young families that and they tend to even break up sunday school to split up the body so that the body doesn't understand how much it needs each other the, those little children, they need the wisdom of the elderly. The elderly need the, the zeal of the children. And both of them need each other. And if all the elderly do is get together with the other elderly, they just get weaker. Right. And in hospitality, it's really good to force that so that, you know, the gray hairs understand what the, the feet that are running all over the place, how much they need each other. There's that old saying, youth is wasted on the young, and one of the ways you keep youth from being wasted on the young is by bringing them together. Because, yeah, the older can, can use the energy of the young if they, if they actually learn to pull together. Which really ties into another, I mean, hospitality is about rejoicing. It is about, it is a joy that God gives us. The number of people who say they have considered suicide among the young has, I mean, I think one out of four or something is the statistics that they're talking about now. And if that's true, there's this, this, this great sadness that's come on our society. And part of that is because we don't recognize the things that are truly supposed to be joyful. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be rejoicing. There's feasting. This is over, an, uh, you know, one out of four days, roughly. In the Jewish calendar, their annual calendar was feasting. They'd have all the Sabbaths, they'd have all the new moons, they'd have, they'd have the three weeks a year. This is a lot of days of feasting. And yet, and all that ties directly to hospitality. And yet, now we just go, well, we don't even have the meal together on Sunday. We just, we just come in and we leave and then we sit and we watch television while we eat. This is one of the great benefits of hospitality is that you learn new things, you see new people, you talk to people and find out about things that you don't know. And if you, if you actually 
are interested in God and what he does, talking to people is a good way to see that. We've talked a lot about how good it is for to do hospitality. But so, you know, what about the things that stop people from doing hospitality? One thing that people frequently turn to is that, you know, they 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 don't have the money to to be hospitable. You know, they make however much and they can't afford to go purchase stuff for a, for a nice dinner for people. I think that's a that's a pretty common one that, that people say. And the response to that is, look, that's look at the commands in scriptures. Whoever has the world's goods, it doesn't say whoever has a lot of the world's goods. It's just do you have something that you can offer to someone else in need? And 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 spaghetti is a perfectly acceptable meal in the right circumstances. And earlier we were talking about, hey, it's not about a show. And if you're thinking it's about a show, that's going to be a barrier to you really exercising hospitality because you're going to be able to come up with all of the excuses of why you can't put on a good enough show as opposed to saying, I need to put myself out here. I need to make a sacrifice of my time and my resources, you know, not to the hurt of my family. You know, if, if it's that bad, then okay, sure. But for most people in America, it's not going to be that bad. And we've talked about food, but it, you can't be, you could even be hospitable without even serving much food at all. I mean, that could be done. If that is the barrier stopping you from having people into your home and spending time with them, that doesn't need to be a barrier. But make sure you tell people they're not coming for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. no, don't invite <laughs> them at you know, 6 o'clock. <laughs> the Bible talks about uh, better is a dinner of herbs where love is. And then it makes a contrast. But I mean, but talk about that point. For some people coming into your house and seeing a joyful and modest meal is more valuable than having just a grand feast spread out in front of them. What they need is not necessarily going to be the physical things. And don't forget that. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, barley, bread, and sardines, that's what the creator of the universe fed a bunch of people. If that's acceptable for the creator of the universe that could have given them all, you know, ribeye steaks, he gave them barley, bread, and sardines. You're talking about the feeding of the 5,000. Yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And so when we start to all of a sudden say, oh, hospitality, you have to have this big fancy meal. Well, that's not Christ's testimony. He gave bread and fish. And we want to make it and say, you have to do all these things. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> the creator of the universe didn't say that you had to do that. That's not the example that he gave. And, and hey, if, start with somebody in your church. And if a person from your church comes into your house and they have a problem with the fact that you gave them spaghetti, that's sin in your church that needs to be dealt with. And if they come into your house and they don't have a problem, then the sin is on your part worrying about it. And stop worrying about it because it's not your job to have more money so you can have a better meal to give somebody. Try Find that one for me in Scripture. And so there's this part of it where have somebody in your church in and you'll either be showing yourself that there's nothing for you to worry about, or you'll be confronting sin in your church, which is a good thing, which is part of what hospitality does, is it forces people together, and it forces us to deal with the reality of each other. And I think there's kind of a a, a principle here that, that some of these things, like having a nice meal, I mean, that's a good thing to offer people, but that shouldn't be holding you back 
from doing hospitality. I mean, another one of these things would be like having, getting your house really clean. And that's great to be able to do that and to have your house clean, but that shouldn't be holding you back. Um, you should not be doing hospitality because it's too much work to clean your house. And, you know, you look at some of the, the ways that this should work out is it's not just, you know, we, we've talked about it's not just having people over who you know and you call, you know, we want to come next Friday. You know, it, it is people you meet, people who have a need that you see right yep. then. And so that means that often it's not going to be possible for you to spend or your wife to spend all afternoon cleaning the house. It's just... Because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> 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 for your wife to spend an afternoon cleaning our house, no, no, this is this is all off. <laughs> and I was no, I was. I mean, yeah, I was. Yeah. I was making the joke because there's a part of it where, hey, if you're gonna have people over, your wife's gonna want you to help clean the house up some. There's just a reality to it. And sometimes what you have to do, you have to help her clean the house. And sometimes you have to teach your wife not to worry about it as much. Both of those things can happen. And right. sometimes you have to teach your children to clean the house, right? So that and <laughs> to actually clean the house and not just pretend like they do. Right. But yeah, but if you're. Uh, if, if you're going to be open to having people over outside of the people from church on Friday, you're going to need to be able to be right. flexible. If, you, if, you're, if you can do what, what it seems like Scripture calls you to do, then get, get ready to be flexible when you need to be. I would say, going back to what are the barriers, the biggest one, no question, is laziness. The biggest one is just not being intentional to say, God says to do this, let's carve out the time, Let's set aside a little bit of resources. Let's call people with enough time for them to come over. You know, let's make space in our lives where this is a normal thing because it's just so easy for it not to happen. And, and you, don't, you don't have to do anything to not do hospitality. You have to do something to do hospitality. And it's the, the failing at that step is why the vast majority of people who think hospitality is a good thing but don't do it actually don't do it it's that reason right or don't do it uh enough to to really say that they do it i mean you know it's easy to have you've done it before but you are not someone who's characterized by 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 hospitality yeah hospitality is not one of those things where at some point in your life you can say oh i was hospitable i have checked i'm a hospitality <laughs> veteran I'm, I'm done that yes i have Check i have box. been to the, the foreign wars and right <laughs> right but but you know and some of that comes down to practical things you know if you need to make a schedule that every friday i'm going to try to have someone over or every other friday or make sure i have you know, make a list of when did I have everyone over last that I want to have over and, you know, work through it. I mean, whatever whatever it takes, you know, that's what. And, I mean, part of the, the response to laziness, especially if you have children, is to get the children involved to do the labor. We did, we did a podcast on getting your children to work. And hospitality is one of the easiest ways to get your children to work because they're usually excited about having people over to your house. Right. And because of that, they're inherently more engaged in the work. Oh, they'll move heaven and earth to have people over. I mean, if you tell your, I mean, there are times where our kids are like, if you'll have somebody over, we will scrub the floor. And I mean, they're, and they're not joking. They, they do it. They really are excited. And it's opportunities to actually, with, within your own house, before you even have somebody else in, if you've got children, it's opportunities to talk about grace and sacrifice and charity to your children. Look, we're going to have somebody over. We are trying to bless them before they come over here are things that we need to do in order to make our house and the experience a blessing for them. You guys got to pitch in. Here's your job. Go dust the baseboards. 
It's pride and laziness, right? I mean, I mean, the thing about not having good enough food, not having a good enough house, not having a clean enough house, that's pride. And pride wars against laziness because there's this thing in, if you talk in modern culture about people like having someone over, is they had us over, so now we have to have them back over. And when they had us over, they had steak, so we have to have steak. No, you know what I mean? This is, this is not Christian hospitality. You can't win at hospitality. And if you think you can win, you're not thinking about it the way Christ has commanded you to do this. And so, I mean, it is about service. And so it, it's, it's, there's pride, pride wars against laziness. It makes it harder. On, it makes it easier on you to be lazy because you raise the barrier for what you have to do to have someone mm-hmm. over. And so there's this part of it where have someone over out of service to God that's your right way of thinking about it. Out of service to Jesus Christ, I am having someone else in the church over. And it can even be, I don't understand how it's going to be good. I don't understand. And it's okay. Faith, blind faith is okay. You know, if that's where you really are, that's not a, that's not the worst place to be. The worst place to be is to say, I'm not going to do it. And I think one of the reasons that people don't do it, and I'll just use a really blunt word, it's idolatry. Because covetousness is idolatry, and what they're saying is, God hasn't given me enough good stuff for me to do hospitality. Well, the biblical word for that is idolatry. And so people don't do it because they're going, well, my stuff isn't good enough. Well, let's call it what it is. It's idolatry. You're, you're dissatisfied with what God has done. You're dissatisfied with how he's provided for you. And so as you were saying, when you think of it as, I'm doing this as a service to God, then how can you possibly complain about the resources that God's given you to do it? Because if it's service to God, he's given you the resources he wants to give you. Other than that, you're just rejecting his sovereignty. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, it's to consume it upon your own lust. Right, right I mean, exactly. I think a word that was that's relevant to this conversation that was mentioned, oh, you know, an hour or two ago in this conversation <laughs> was authenticity, you know. So if you don't want to have people over because you don't want people to see how your house is after a moderate amount of effort is made to clean it up, or you don't want to have people over because you don't want them to know what you can, what you eat for dinner, you know, that's not how you're supposed to be living with people in the church. I mean, maybe... You know, maybe maybe you're going to get rebuked for not keeping your house in order, but that's not a bad thing either. And I do think that that's one of the reasons people don't do hospitality is because you can hide a lot in your house. But all of a sudden people come into your house and they see what books you have on the shelf. They see that you don't have any books on your shelf. They see they your sins that are very easy to hide Sunday morning are no longer easy to hide. I find it interesting that the sins you immediately identify with the books that people have or don't have on their shelves. But anyway, That's because on. how many times I've been rebuked for the picture. Of, there's like a little Santa picture on one of the... He doesn't have a TV. If you have to have a book burning the night before you have someone over for dinner, you know, something might be wrong. But even more fundamentally, a lot of times they're like, well, I can get the children to behave at church because all their friends are there. And so they'll behave there but boy if i had a an elderly couple over here they're not going to be embarrassed in front of their friends so they're going to be as wild as they are all the other time and so i you know christians are supposed to be people of the light they're supposed to let people see what their lives are actually like they're not supposed to be hypocrites they're not supposed to be two-faced they're supposed to be 
let people see how it is. God sees how it is. Why do I care what people see when God already sees it all? And I think a lot of people don't do hospitality because they've created this this church persona that's very different than their home persona, and they don't want people to see their home persona. And people that are in that situation, they should recognize how dangerous of a situation that is. God hates hypocrisy. I think what we do is we have in our mind a particular kind of person who's good at hospitality, equipped for hospitality, has the resources for hospitality, somebody who's maybe more mature, older, maybe they have a large family, maybe they have older children, you know, and we think, okay, well, that's the kind of person who does hospitality because they are the kind of people who do hospitality, and, and I'm not that because I'm I'm a single person or I'm I'm just a young married or you know I've got tiny little kids running around and you know I'm not that so I'm not going to do hospitality but you go back to the bible and you look at the text and the text doesn't make exceptions for those kinds of people I'd say at most you could say it makes exceptions for people who are so poor that they don't have the world's goods and those resources if that's not you then you should be practicing hospitality with whatever resources you have and you know, those people that you look at and you think, oh, they're really good at hospitality. They're really mature. They they didn't start out that way. They got good at it by lots and lots of practice. And you should start practicing hospitality as soon as you have the resources to practice hospitality, which is, you know. Everybody our, in the United States. We've <laughs> been arguing it's earlier than you think. But, right. you know, if you're single and you've got an apartment, find somebody in the church that you think, you know, hey, let me invite them over. And or and if, you're, if you're living in your car and you have enough money to buy three pizzas, you can go buy three pizzas and go to show, do hospitality in somebody else's house. Yeah. We you, can all do it. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, even if you don't have an apartment, you can do it. Right. Maybe. If you have a small house, you know, do you have a, a yard? Do you have a fire pit? Do you have a park nearby that has, you know, a grill to grill hot dogs on? I mean, these aren't ideal, obviously, but, you know, it, that's better it, than... Ideal better doesn't matter, that, that, right? that actually sounds ideal. I mean, that... I'd or, I mean, I know somebody that would go and say, I'll bring the meal to your house and we'll do it at your house because I don't have a house that can hold 10 children or I don't even have a house. I live with with my weird pastor. <laughs> and, and when you're in that position where you think, oh, I'm not the person who can show hospitality... And, and you go out and you try and you, you take a step in faith and you invite somebody over, you'll find surprising things happen. You know, early in, in my married life, before we had any kids, we invited a large family over to our house because, you know, we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to do this hospitality thing, work it out. And they came over and they, and you know, and we had a great time, even though their kids had no kids to play with at our house. And, and as they were leaving, they said, wow, thank you so much for inviting us over. We're such a large family. People don't invite us over. And that was not what we were expecting to hear at all. And, you know, and, and you know, I, I, we've been talking about, oh, you try and be intentional in how you bless people. Well, we weren't trying to be intentional. And God said, okay, I'm going to let you bless these people anyway. And, you know, so do it. And, and your church will be better for it. And you'll be better for it. I think another reason why people don't have people over is they don't actually believe the gospel. There's this part of it where what it, in the end sometimes what you do is you absolutely think the worst of everyone else. You know what I mean? T to have someone over, you actually have to think well of them in a sense of that you have to think they would be willing to receive something. And there's this part of it where what you end up doing is you end up thinking of everyone's sin and magnifying their sin in your mind. 
they're going to come over and they're going to judge my house. They're going to come over and they're going to take, you know, and they're, I mean, it's really horrible. It's, you know, because there's the pride on the one hand of this isn't good enough, but the other hand is you turn them into judgmental, evil, horrible. That's what you're, and you're talking about the church frequently. I mean, that's, and, and the sad thing is, is sometimes it could be true, but that's not how you're supposed to think. And that's not how God calls you to think. And so the thinking is just, the thinking is wrong. You and, need to believe in God's word. And we need to worry about God's judgment, not man's judgment. Right. Because it's very easy to worry about man's judgment is why we go, oh, we can't do that because, you know, they're not going to think the food's good or they're not going to think our house is nice enough or whatever. That's just fear of man. We need to get back to fear of God. God said to do it. We should fear him if we don't. When you think of outside the church, one thing that I've heard a lot is, you know, you see that person on the street and you come and invite them into, you know, to dinner is one of the reasons that I've heard lots of people say they can't do it is because of fear. That person could be a mass murderer. That person could be a rapist. That person, you know, especially to let them stay overnight. I was even on a panel with nationally known speakers, and somebody asked that question, and one of them's like, well, I lock them in the basement because my house is my castle. And it's like, no, that's not right. And another one was saying, well, I'm not going to do it because I have young children. Well, you know, Matthew 25 is pretty explicit. I was homeless and you took me in. <laughs> That's really explicit. And so one of the things that we've done is, and it's we're seeing it with the COVID stuff too, is we've exploded low risk into high risk. The, the no percentage risk into high risk, I mean, is what we've turned into. <laughs> right. But the percentage of people that are raped is a lot lower than it was when I was a child. But yet now we say you can't let a 12-year-old girl go walk to school, right? Somebody even was charged with like child abuse for letting a 10-year-old walk to school. In the 70s, in the 60s, when it was a lot more frequent than it is now, people didn't give a second thought of it. We've just gotten completely out of whack in terms of our, our risk assessment. The reality is, is there aren't that many mass murderers out there. And if you run into somebody on the street and invite them over for dinner, they're not going to kill everybody in your whole household. And if they did, it was God's sovereign will. And so we need to, because I've heard this excuse so many times, especially when you think about hospitality of people staying overnight. And that doesn't mean that you don't order your home in certain ways and you don't do things in certain ways. But in the end, it says, I was homeless and you took me in. We're not allowed to just go, well, but Jesus Christ didn't know how risky it was. Actually, he did. <laughs> He knew a lot better than we do exactly right. how risky it was. He lived in a day where a Roman soldier could compel you to carry their pack for a mile, and Roman soldiers were, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they they weren't always the nicest people. Right. And, and you know, we read the Bible, you know, don't trust in horses and chariots. Trust in the Lord your God. And then we turn around and we say, well, we, we can't have that guy. I mean, yeah, he says he repented, but... I know he was using drugs a year ago. Who knows what he's like? We can't have him come in here. That would be, you know, and we do these things and we ramp them up to be like we're having this huge risk. And it's just not true. The big risk is to rebel against God. The big risk is not to have somebody show hospitality to somebody. And the point here isn't to abandon all judgment. I mean, there, no. are, there are certain, you know, if someone just got out of prison for a certain crime, then there were probably plenty of people who should not have him come live with them. You know, there's, you know, there are people to even spread the net out a lot wider. There are a lot of people that would be good to have over, but would not be good to 
you know, have live with you and have complete unfettered, you know, interaction with your children and things like that. So there are definitely judgment calls, but it's very easy to to go too protective and say, because because there's a possibility that I, I can imagine a scenario that something bad would happen. Therefore, I'm going to never do this. And, and part of that is we have this idea that, that major sins just blossom full bloom. You know, they don't, they don't grow. The murderer was angry before that. You can usually go, you know, if, if the guy's a, a, a gang, you know, a member of a gang that's, that's angry and bitter, yeah, you should really be careful about having him in your home. But that's the guy that would be more likely to murder people in your household than this Christian that you never, quote unquote, you know, claims to be a Christian that you never met before, that calls you from across the country and says, I'm coming to this city, can I stay in your house? Well, it doesn't just jump out like that. It grows and it builds, and that's how sin works, and we've lost the nature of sin. The idea that somebody's just going to go rape your daughter out of the blue well, no, that's not how it works, and it doesn't mean that you don't put boundaries in place, but it means you have a realistic view of sin. You don't just think that it comes out full-grown. It doesn't. And if they do something like that, it's going to be after they're your friend. I mean, you look at the, you know, it's not, you, the, the risk to your family is more from the people you know, realistically, Far than higher. the people you don't know. Far higher. And so I've just heard a lot of pastors even use the excuse of fear as to why you can't show certain types of hospitality, and, and that's not what the Bible says. An idea that, that has sort of been, you know, we've talked about this in the nature of the gospel, and I talked about it like the end of the gospel is eventually God's going to have us into our house, and, and realize that the, the contrast between heaven and hell is really what we've been talking about here with hospitality. Mm-hmm that heaven is a place where God brings us into our, his house and he gives us houses there and he gives us his feast and there's community where everybody is worshiping God till forever. And hell is just as opposite of that it can, as it can be where it's not like a far side comic where everybody's having conversations and the devil's watching from a perch. It's, it's isolation in utter darkness at, where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you've got this picture of here's what everything's going to end up like is is hell where total loneliness, complete, the, the most painful loneliness possible, or you have fellowship with God and all of his people forever. And, and the point for the church in the meantime in the physical world is to make the earth more like heaven and less like hell as best the church can do because the church is the body of Christ and the church is given the role of fulfilling what Christ would have the world to look like. And so, you know, that's what hospitality is. Hospitality is, is our, our clumsy toddler-like attempts at turning earth into heaven. God has said, don't leave man to himself. You know I mean? Don't, man left to himself, the ways of a man are the ways of death. And Christ is really explicit about it in Luke 14 in a way, right? Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I mean, the picture of the the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, that's the Christian. And when we invite those in that are weak, 
that's exactly what Christ does. That's exactly the gospel. And so if, if we think that, yeah, we should only do hospitality to those who can pay us back, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ shows hospitality to those who can never pay him back. And that's what the church needs to start doing if it wants to have an impact on the world. Mm-hmm. And you might look at a verse like this and say, well, that's hard. I mean, how do I invite people who aren't rich? I'm an American. And, and, and what it's saying is don't be inviting them because they're rich. You're inviting them because they're poor in some way. Right. You're and inviting them because you can help them. You're inviting them because you have something that you can offer to them with no expectation that they're going to be giving you any kind of return other than the joy of obeying God's commands. Thank you for joining us. As we think of hospitality, hospitality is so central to the gospel, so central to the picture of what Christ did. And it's so much an aspect of the gospel that's been lost in the modern American church. If we want the church to have an influence on society— There's a really simple way. Start to invite your neighbors. Start to invite other people in the church. Bring people into your home and start to have human interactions because that is how the church gets strong. That is how the the church impacts the world around it because that's how Christ impacted the world. Thank you for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.